Hello there. I'm Greg Mashburn, and I'm the occasional podcaster. I've spent most of my life working behind a microphone as an audio engineer, a radio broadcaster, and a news reporter. Now that I'm retired, I've discovered podcasting and have picked up a mic once again to present my conversations with folks just like you. People interested in and involved with the things going on in and around our community. Roger Bell is the author and creator of Muskogee 150, a Facebook page detailing the city of Muskogee's beginnings as a small town in 1872. Roger is a member of the board, a past president, and the historian for the Three Rivers Museum here in Muskogee, which focuses mainly on the history of the city and the immediate area. Roger professes a lifelong fascination with the history of our city. If you are a Facebooker, you have no doubt noticed posts since the beginning of the year on Muskogee 150, a page dealing with people and incidents in our city's past. Roger Bell has collected a vast amount of information and stories dealing with Muskogee, its founders, and its early history. I think you are going to be very interested to hear our visit with Roger Bell coming up in just a few moments. If you have an idea for a future episode of The Occasional Podcaster, let us know. Find The Occasional Podcaster on Facebook and Instagram. Of course, you can always send an email to occasionalpodcaster at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and perhaps present your idea on an upcoming episode of The Occasional Podcaster. Roger Bell, thank you for being on the program today. Great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. I, I'm happy to have you. I have been seeing on Facebook and, uh, and other instances of social media for oh, a couple of months anyway now, and, and, and probably further back, this, this symbol, this logo, this 150. And I understand that you're the fellow behind that. Tell us more. Well, uh, I've, uh, I decided in the first year, uh, I'm an historian in Muskogee. I've, I've studied the history here. Since I was a kid, I got fascinated by the history of Muskogee. When I was in the fifth grade at uh, LDL Elementary School in Muskogee, I had a teacher there that encouraged me quite a bit. Um, his name was Mr. Cooper, and um, he's long past, but I got really interested in it. I took that home to my dad, and my dad bought me a, a, dub, a history book by Dub West on the history of Muskogee, mm -hmm. and I don't really know... I really took it up. I even had my own history museum, believe it or not, in my home as a fifth grader. <laughs> um, my dad took me on a summer trip um, for about a week by myself. We went all over Oklahoma, and we, we touched on historical places, and I picked up things. And I don't know, I was always fascinated by it. Um, and I never, you know, it was always there. Uh, I left Muskogee in... Uh, after I graduated from college and stuff, about you know, in, in, in 87 or so, I, I left and never thought I would return to school. Yeah, I thought, and that's it, I'll never come back, you know, right. except to see my parents. Uh, five years later, I was back. and Well, uh, you know, they say never say never. <laughs> and um, I was married within a year of that, and uh, soon after that, I got involved in some historical uh, interest in Muskogee, uh, specific to outlaw lawman history, 
And I started doing research, and I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to work on a book. I don't know why, but I'm just, this is something I'm going to research. So I started researching some things, and I started meeting people. I guess some of that picked up on some other people, and before I knew it, I was invited to be on the museum board. I was the youngest by far on the board. when you say the museum board, the facility is? Three Rivers Museum in Muskogee. Okay. So... So you are a board member currently? I am a board member. I was chair, and, and, chairman for like 20 years, and then I just and, stepped and down. And you are the official historian? I, I have asked to step down from the chairmanship a few years ago and just take on the role of a historian, and the fun job of treasure is always a good job, you know, <laughs> to have on the side. There you go. But I have a banking background, so they always ask that. But Muskogee is approaching its 150th official anniversary this year. As a high school student, and I remember Muskogee's centennial celebration, somewhere I have a challenge coin from the centennial. I just don't know where it is. Yes, and that was some of the reason that, I, that the 150 came up to me. Um, you know, and, and I, was not, I was probably barely here in 72. I had no idea what was going on. But um, the 72, when you study it historically, you see pictures of all the events that happened here. Uh, we have some of them in our collection here at Three Rivers Museum, but it, it intrigued me. And uh, as people started telling me, you know, the 150th anniversary of Muskogee was coming up. And some people in the city said, well, that can't be right because uh, we, 1898 was the date of Muskogee. And I said, no, that's not really correct. Muskogee was formed in 1872. Uh, it just wasn't incorporated because it could not be incorporated in Indian territory as it was tribal for many years. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is it was settled by the Katy Railroad. So when this year started coming up, maybe about nine months ago or so, I started bringing it up to some people. And, uh, uh, you know, I did, wasn't sure anything was going to really happen. And uh, they formed a committee and, you know, for one way reason or another, I wasn't asked to be a part of it. So as the, as the uh, year started, I was thinking about doing some things here at the museum, but I thought, you know, I have all this stuff built up and I wanted to do something. So on <laughs> New Year's Day, I said, I'm just going to start something here. I don't even know yeah. why. It wasn't pre-thought out at all. So I did the first post on, and I created a, a Facebook page called Muskogee 150, and just really off the spur of the moment, and uh, I, I started. And my first one, I thought, you know, I won't get too detailed in these posts, but I found myself getting more and more as time went on. But I wanted to tell the story of Muskogee a little bit by little bit. So mm-hmm. I started on the earliest days of Muskogee, and uh, in January and February, I posted every day something from the 1870s and the 1880s history of Muskogee. I've read a lot of those, and they are they are fascinating little nuggets, just in and of themselves, you know, and into the life here, uh, you know, pre 1900. Now, let's let's kind of get an, a, a timeline established. We most of us know that Oklahoma achieved statehood in 1907. Uh, we know that the the railroads really got established here right after the turn of the century, 1902, 1903, somewhere along in there. Um, We know that uh, you mentioned Indian Territory just a couple of minutes ago. We know that at one time there was quite a movement to, I guess, divide what became Oklahoma into two different 
populations and establish uh, a Native American state of Sequoia. And if I remember correctly, I believe Muskogee was going to be the capital of Sequoia. But then, of course, as we read in the history books, none of that ever happened. I think I read that President Theodore Roosevelt said, no, not so much. I'm not signing off on this. And Oklahoma became a state in 1907. Yes, uh, Indian Territory, um, you know, the story you're telling about the state of Sequoia is correct. There was the tribes kind of moved forward in that effort to form a separate state. Uh, The Sequoia Convention was held here in Muskogee at what was the Hinton Theater, what people grew up in Muskogee would know as the Ritz Theater. Um, it later was they moved into a movie house, but it would date it all the way back to 1905. So it was pretty much brand new when the convention was established here. And leaders from all of the tribes came here. Uh, we had other leaders involved in it, including a man by the name of Charles Haskell, who was uh, very important because he helped, along with some others, write the Constitution for the state of Sequoia uh, here in Muskogee. And uh, the effort was made. There was talk, you know, of Muskogee being the capital. There was also talk of Fort Gibson being the capital. And there was a few other ones trying to fight for it, of course. Um, But... uh, There was a plan, which uh, is in one of my Muskogee books, of a rendering of the Capitol, which would be up on what today we would know as Capitol Hill or Turner Hill um, up in Muskogee. And uh, it had, um, it was a pretty grand looking structure, but it never really moved forward. Uh, The politics at that time, whether or not it was Theodore Roosevelt, which it probably was to a certain extent because of his party he was involved in, but there was not a, a desire to put in a separate state because it was thought that this would be definitely a democratic uh, uh, state coming in. And um, supposedly that was the way. I'm sure there was more to it than that overall, but um, it just didn't move forward. And uh and soon that same document that Charles Haskells and others worked on for the state of Sequoia, they used it for the Oklahoma Constitution. Well, I'll be darned. Uh, so it's pretty much <laughs> the folks here wrote it. Uh, and, Why duplicate uh, the work? <laughs> and yeah. they just thought, well, this is a pretty good document. Let's just use it as we're going in here. Um, let's talk back up just a little bit and talk about the railroads. As we mentioned, the railroads were established here. We would not be here today, uh, certainly not like this, if the railroad had not made a couple. Of, it would have been, you know, everything has a reason and whatever. But the original plan, there was a big race to have be the first railroad through Indian Territory. The tribes did not want railroads, a lot of them especially, because what they were going to, what they were afraid they were going to bring in white settlers, what we would know as intruders, into what was the tribal. Uh, bases in Indian Territory. So um, the Cherokees were adamant. You know, they would not allow a railroad uh, to come through their deal. The Katy Railroad really wanted to go through the Cherokee Nation. Its original plan was to have a depot at Fort Gibson, and that was to be their main depot, the one that they eventually made Muskogee. Uh, before that time, in 1872, Muskogee was an open prairie. There was nothing here. There were, you know, Oatmulgee and some of the tribal towns were already established. So 
when Muskogee was formed, it wasn't, you know, we, we can talk about the Native American history. Yes, it was. It was in a Native American area, but it was very multicultural from the day it was born. We had tribal people living by here. We had, we had the African-American freedmen in the area. We had the uh, intruder element coming in here. We had all kinds. We had merchants, people with the opportunity that they saw. Mm-hmm. Or we also had the ruffians and the outlaws and some of the people that came along the railroad that right. were really bad. So Right, right. When you say ruffians and outlaws, it brings to mind uh, Bass Reeves, but maybe that's a maybe that's another show. But <laughs> Yeah, that could be a whole show in itself. But outlaw lawman history here is very important. Uh, we don't uh, have a good, you know, the first day Muskogee was formed, they, they, the train came across the tracks. They built a bridge over the uh, the Arkansas River, and it was delayed because, what, the uh, Chicago, Great Chicago Fire, when a cow knocked over the stuff, they, they, it delayed it about six months to get materials in to finish that bridge. But when they did it, it was actually a New Year's Day, of all things, uh, when they actually brought it across the tracks. Its original intention was to have it where we now know as Macon College was today, mm-hmm. But it was just the, the 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 lay of the land was not good for a depot, so they moved it just a few miles south and to where it was and is today. And uh, there was uh, uh, that night, all the people were following the railroad. They were, you know, it was called a terminus town, and so that was the next terminus town. So that was as far as you could go on the railroad at that time. And all these settlers. Speaking of, speaking of railroads. Here we go. <laughs> I always tell people that uh, usually when I talk there's about railroads, I'll hear one, and there it is. That's just good planning on your yeah, part. Yeah, um, But uh, the day that that happened, uh, that night, uh, there was a murder here in Muskogee uh, on the first day of its formation um, uh, here. And uh, there was gamblers coming in here. To, you know, you look at you look at the newspaper reports, and, and they were not here because there was no newspapers here. They are from Chicago, from New York, whatever. And you can look at some of those papers about all the rough stuff that was going on. And, and the lawmen, um, there was some tribal law enforcement, but it was very limited. And then there was um, and they weren't ready for all this intruder element that was coming into uh, Indian Territory. And the deputy marshals, uh, within immediate, almost um, all these towns on the Katy were formed within a few years of each other. So you got Benita, mm-hmm. you got Caddo, you got McAllister, you got all these towns that are all uh, this year or last year uh, celebrating the 150th. And why? Because they were all on the railroad. And uh, there was just. Uh, there was all kind of bad activity, and the lawmen, uh, a lot of people do not know this, but uh, more deputy marshals have been killed within a 100-mile radius of Muskogee than anywhere in the United States. Really? Uh, most of it is in the 1870s up until the turn of the century, 1900 or so. There's some after that, but um, if you look at historically, it's not even close. It's like two to three to one in any place like you can look at in America. Wow. wow. This is the Occasional Podcaster. I'm Greg Mashburn. Our guest uh, for this episode is Roger Bell, a historian. We're talking about Muskogee uh, at 150. And, and before we jump off into another topic, really quickly, this is something that, that sooner or later everybody asks is, 
what's the deal with Muskogee with a C and Muskogee with a K? It's an excellent question, and I don't know if I have the right answer for it. You know, I've studied it myself. Um, Preeminent Muskogee historians uh, such as Grant Foreman, uh, such as Dub West, others that have, you know, you know, they live their life in the history. Um, they would say that it was, a, it, some of the stories are that the, when the postmaster came and put, he misspelled Muskogee's name. Uh-huh. But um, of course that made it official. <laughs> I don't think that's correct. Okay. Um, What's your take? As early on as we can find, uh, we see Muskogee with a K. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost to the time period of its you know, first days, it shows up in the paper as a K. Uh, there are some spellings of it as C, but they're actually less than what you see the K is. Obviously, Muskogee with a C is tribal. That is the Creek the tribal nation, right? way of saying the name. Uh, interesting enough, and I wrote this in one of my 150 pages, one of the first merchants ever to come here was a man by the name of Joshua Ross. And he brought a, he brought, of all things, he brought a Cherokee wife here with him and her name was Muskogee with a K. Oh. So it's a mystery that I don't know, but it, it seems interesting that why, that's just a lot of strangeness that she had a K name, mm-hmm. and she came was one of the first residents here, and she had the first child ever born here that we know of. Um, and, uh, and it's just kind of, is that a coincidence? I don't know. Yeah. But over the time you, you, even later you would see the C, but it's just like anything else. A lot of it I think was just a mistake. They just didn't know what somebody in Chicago didn't know it or whatever. And as a, as a radio reporter for many, many, many years, I know that, that names and pronunciations evolve because when I started reading news stories, um, it would be Kiev. Yes. And of course, if you listen to the news yes, today, it's not Kiev, it's Kiev. Yeah. So I know things change just through, you know, just through yes. time and usage. I, you know, but, you know, so a long time when I was, you know, you know, 20 years ago or so, I always thought, well, it was always a C, and then at some point in time, I changed it to a K because of some issue with the postmaster. But when you look back historically, it's almost always been a K. And yeah. there's, some, there's some thought that maybe that was, they didn't want to confuse it with a tribal name. Or there well, is actually another town in the United States that is, like it's in Alabama, that is Muskogee, and really? it is a C in it. I, I was not aware of that. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that certainly leaves lots of room for discussion. So we'll, we'll save that discussion for another time. Okay. But you mentioned uh, a, a couple of names at the beginning of this, of this discussion. And, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about was some of the more preeminent Muskogee citizens from our past. Uh, you mentioned uh, C.N. Haskell. Uh, there are others. Uh, most every Muskogee at least knows the name Alice Robertson, if not the story that goes along with it. Right. Um, who, who else might we have heard of? 
Uh, I don't know if you heard of him, but I would say Clarence Turner was one of the most important early uh, ones uh, to be here. He he uh, he lived his life. He was he was a, a merchant. He established a hardware store that was at one time over a block long, and he was it was one of the biggest hardware stores in in the southwest part of the United States. What we have to understand is Muskogee. This was a cattle town. It was a trading town. People from the Cherokee and the Creek Nation and Indian Territory came here mainly because of its uh, railroad, but that was also the, because of all the railroad that brought what goods and things into <laughs> India, and they brought and it became a mecca for that. But he was such a um, he was he didn't have the spotlight a lot, you know. He didn't want the spotlight on him. He was just a good-hearted man. You know, the thing you, you look back and historically, um, even his obituary uh, talks about there's probably no man more important to Muskogee's early days and, and the growth of Muskogee than him and he never sought much of any acclaim for any of it uh, but he would you know he if there was something needed to be built if there was a church that needed to be built if there was something that needed to be done here he gave to it. He did it. Mm-hmm. And there was a few other ones like that. And I was reading some of the snippets, some of your 150 posts. Uh, was was he the, the the merchant or the grocer? I believe it was mentioned in the story that that people didn't go hungry around him, whether yeah. they could afford to pay for their groceries right. or not. This, this is the same yeah, individual. And, and he, he would typically have four or five kids that weren't his at his house as orphans that he would just take up if he'd heard a you know, bad story or something mm-hmm. they needed it. Um, he was known to do that. And, um, you know, he he uh, never really, I mean, he, his hardware stores, hardware stores kind of, the what we call hardware stores, I call them the Walmarts of their time. The dry goods store. You know, they had everything. Yeah. You know, and he was, he would bring fancy stuff from wherever it was, for you know, uh, lady stuff or whatever it was, to just common stuff. And there was three or four of these main stores in Muskogee that just really brought a lot of activity. But yeah, we have some inside pictures of them. They're really fun to look at to see. You know, they were all they were department stores as such. You, know, you go into one little room and that's all the hardware. And then you go to one and it's all the fine china and everything. And he even had, later, he, he created on the top floor of, he created a, what he would call an opera house, one of the first theaters ever built in Muskogee. Mm. It was on the top floor of his building, and it was said to be unbelievable. Here's the other thing about him. Had the Great Fire, he, his buildings burned three times. He, he lost everything in the Fire of 87. He lost it in another uh, fire. And then the biggest fire in Muskogee was in 1899. He lost everything then, but he built back, and he was like the leader in building back, mm. and yeah, uh, um, and and encouraged others to build. Uh, and here's another interesting little sidelight about him: is the name Muskogee Phoenix newspaper. Yes, it, it's it's from him when they were in the fire of '87. The newspaper here at that time was the Indian Journal, and it burned to the ground. And uh, they decided to move to Eufaula. And um, they, we had no newspaper here. But there were some people that said, hey, this is a, I'm going to build back. We're going to build all this back. 
and uh, we need to work together. And what do you think would be a good name for the newspaper, Mr. Turner? And uh, they talked to him, and, and they said, well, what about the Times or, you know, uh, the Gazette or whatever? He, I can't remember exactly. He said, I think it ought to be called the Phoenix, like the famous bird that... Uh, rising from rising the ashes. Rising from the ashes. Yes. So um, that's what it was. Ah. And today it's still called the Muskogee Phoenix. Very interesting. Let's talk for uh, for just a second uh, a little more about Muskogee in terms of, of, uh, of the Native American influence. We have a college here, Bacon College. Right. We have the Murrow Children's Home. We have the uh, what is now the Five Tribes Museum on uh, on top of Agency Hill right. uh, at the entrance to Honor Heights Park. But in times past, that building was known by a totally different name and for a different purpose. Yeah, its original purpose was to be the Indian agency. Uh, there was each, each tribe had its own Indian agency uh, in the eight, after the Civil War for many years. Mm-hmm. And that got to be kind of cumbersome. And the railroad, as it was coming through there, they decided the idea was to create a union agency where there was one Indian agent they would deal with all the tribes, and they would come to him, basically. So they, the original location was Muskogee because they wanted it central, for one thing, and, and it was considered kind of central in the, in the state or the Indian Territory. So um, they, they chose Muskogee, and then um, there was a rumbling that they, the agent got mad at some people. I don't know the whole story there, but... One of the uh, gentlemen that was here was a, was a early days was a man by the name of Foreman was his last name his, not not Grant but John, and he um, was one of the early pioneers here, and um, he was actually quote mayor I don't know what elections were done by that he was considered the first mayor and uh, they were going to move it to Dakota, and they had it all lined up to move it and and. This is in 18, Muskogee has probably 500 or less residents this time. And they decided uh, to, to play a little, uh, make a little effort. So during the night, they got to one of the hardware stores, I'm not sure which one, and uh, got some barrels of salt. And they went down, and the only thing they had left to do to was make sure the water was good there. And they, they salted the well. <laughs> And we don't know if the agent ever really figured that out or not, but when he got down there, he was disappointed in that, and he said, well, I guess we just need to keep this in Muskogee. <laughs> and they selected kind of a strange location uh, out on top of what we now know, what was years for years called Agency Hill. What we would know today is Honor Heights Hill. Mm-hmm. And uh, Agency Building was built there, and the agent lived out there, but it was so remote out there. Think about walking out there or driving a wagon out there it was remote yeah and so they, they it was only the agency for about three or four years and the agent gave up and moved into town <laughs> and they abandoned it and it became an orphanage for a while and then uh, many things but and today you're right it is the five tribes museum oldest um, building in muskogee and, and let's not forget about Bacon College. Can you give us a, a brief thumbnail on that campus? Yes. Uh, well, originally Bacon uh, College was was in Tahlequah. And today you can go by the Bacon House in Tahlequah and see where it originally was. 
And that is a very, you know, that's an old building because that was formed about 1870 or so before Muskogee was even formed. But as it was growing, he wanted it to reach more tribes, and he looked for uh, parcels of land to create it. And the Cherokees, again, the Cherokees were not as receptive to him. They had their own, they were very strong in education. They had their own seminaries. Yeah, I've, I, I worked for the, the uh, Cherokees for 10 yeah. years, and, and, and I, I know of that rich uh, European-American yes. farmers and, and yeah. landowners they would were, send their children to the Cherokee to be educated. Yeah, they were very high, and they were really well done for their time. And so he wanted to create, he was, he was an American Baptist. He originally came here from um, the Northeast and it had been in Ohio for a while and in Cleveland before he came here. But when he, he came here, he, he, he wanted to create a, a Baptist university to train ministers, train uh, people to be missionaries and, you know, educate them both. So the Creeks, uh, after a while, uh, two or three years of negotiating with him, they decided to give him, uh, basically, a, a give him, not necessarily give him, but allow him to build the big home where it is today. Right. And so in 1875, they loaded up all everything they had in Tahlequah on, on, uh, in their wagons, and they came across, uh, um, probably on ferries, no telling what they did to bring all the stuff over here in 1875. And... and uh, Interesting enough, one of the wealthiest men in the country, Rockefeller, he had ties, his wife had ties to Cleveland and all this, so there was a tie-in there. And they gave, uh, I can't remember how much it was, but in today's day, it would probably be about half a million to a million dollars uh, to build um, what was then Rockefeller Hall. Mm-hmm. And then Rockefeller Hall no longer stands. It stood for 50 years or more, but it was built uh, uh, as the first building. And on the open prairie, I can only imagine what this, if you see pictures of Rockefeller Hall, you're, you're thinking, man, what was that like in 1875 when it was out in the open prairie yeah. and this big building was out there by yeah. itself? Wow, that's interesting. Now, the connection with the Murrow home? Murrow was a probably one of the most important Baptist missionaries and one of the most influential men in Indian territory. Um, he is a, uh, was one of the primary Masonic influencers of, in the whole uh, state for many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Joseph Muro was associated with the Baptist home and the orphanage was named after him. You know, he, so he and he was um, influential in the start of uh, First Baptist Church here in Muskogee. This is the Occasional Podcaster. I'm Greg Mashburn. The host, our guest today, uh, is Roger Bell, the historian. We're talking about Muskogee, Oklahoma, as it uh, enters its 150th, uh, I guess you'd say, official year. Yes. Muskogee's biggest growth phase occurred right after the big fire here in 1899. Uh, it was doubling, tripling, quadrupling in population right before what statehood. Mm-hmm. Statehood was pending. Whether it would be Sequoia or Oklahoma, or Oklahoma, whatever, we it, they knew it was coming, and there was so much influence in here. The other thing that happened about this same time period was oil, and a lot of people do not know that Muskogee had a big oil boom at one time, 
uh, pictures we have, the south of Muskogee with oil wells, and there was a lot of the same famous characters of oil history came here. Uh, J. Paul Getty to, uh, had an oil well and had influence here. Wow. Um, and, but what, so there were, you know, there was a lot of activity for that. There was the governmental activity that was here because Muskogee was the center of, um, had the federal court here. Had, right, uh, yeah. And so it was, a, it was an influence. So, you know, I, I always get, uh, I tell a lot of people here, uh, when I see pictures in Muskogee, and say, wow, that was, that was amazing what was around the 1910 time period. And I said, well, you have so, to understand it was bigger in Tulsa. The biggest growth phase was from about 1900 to about 1915 or so. All of the big, what we would call skyscrapers in Muskogee were built in that, uh, all built about five years from each other, about 1908 to about 1912. Wow. That would include the Seavers Hotel, which we now know is the BOK building. Mm -hmm. Uh, The buildings that are not there, they're gone, that people know would be the the Flint Ames or the Commercial Bank Building, uh, the Surrey, which is still there. Uh, Barnes Building was the biggest building ever built. It was 14, and it was imploded in, I think, want to say 72, 73. I remember that. I remember seeing that. Yeah, and it was 14 stories tall, and it was built by, it was named after, he died right before it got finished, but it was named after an oil man and because of the oil interest. Yeah. That's why I built it. Yeah, and way before my time, my radio station, I keep calling it my radio station, the radio station where I was employed for most of my career was KBIX Radio. Yes, sir. And at one time it was in the Barnes Building, and then it moved uh, out across the street from where Kmart is. But yes. then, And after that, somebody bought the license, and so technically the radio station was in a studio on top of Commercial Bank for a few years. Okay. And I guess it's just gone now. I guess it is, you know. And I, I remember listening to you myself back in the day. Oh, so. no. <laughs> Your check is in the mail. Thank you so much. I, yes, <laughs> yes, sir, I do remember that. Uh, we, we all had to grow up listening to KBIX at one time, if you remember. Uh, you know, we were the mighty 1490. And I, there used to be an exhibit back here somewhere in the museum. I don't know if it's still there or not. We have a KBIX mic from the 1950s oh on my. display here. Yes. <laughs> this is the occasional podcaster. I am Greg Mashburn, and our, our guest is Roger Bell, historian. Uh, uh, Roger, in, in the closing minutes here, tell us a little bit about uh, the museum itself, what it offers the visitor, what uh, what kind of history this covers. Uh, just give us the whole thumbnail sketch. Our focus is on really now at this point the history of Muskogee. We do focus on a little bit of area history, but most of the things we have will be on Muskogee. Last year, we just went through a complete reworking of pretty much every exhibit in the main gallery. Uh, we have a exhibit now on what we talked about, law enforcement history, um, and one of our principal uh, people we get a lot of interest in is Bass Reeves. Mm-hmm. And we have an exhibit, we, we have another one that focuses on the uh, transportation. The air history here, I, I enjoyed st- researching that probably more than anything because I didn't know as much about it. When I started researching, I was just amazed at the history and the net amount of characters that came through here and the, and the influence Muskogee I, had. I, I don't know how authentic my information is, but as far as Hatbox is concerned, I, I've heard names connected with that, like Amelia Earhart, yes. Will Rogers, uh, yes. uh, historic 
people uh, in the, aviation the who first airplane ever to fly coast to coast well they, it, it would fly in little segments it would go up it would crash you know it would go up the next day and crash again <laughs> was a man by the name of cal rogers so this is the first flight across the united states historically and it landed in muskogee at the fairgrounds what we would now people would know as thunderbird speedway yes uh it was the fairgrounds in in 1911 so these are the first time anybody ever seen an airplane ever flying into muskogee and we actually have a picture of that believe it or not oh wow but we have uh, the first round the world flyers in the military they flew and they flew through muskogee wow. they landed here I think one of the things, that, strangely enough, was the railroad. Oh. These early pilots, they needed something to figure out where they were. That's the origin the of IFR. It does not stand for <laughs> instrument flight rules. It stands for I follow railroads. <laughs> they followed the railroad. <laughs> and, uh, and you're right. Uh, Lindbergh came here in 1927. 100,000 people in Muskogee in the streets. Probably the largest gathering ever in the history of Muskogee wow. to see Lindbergh here in 1927. Just a few, just uh, less than six months after his historic flight. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you have the, a lady pilot set the world record for loops here in 1931 at Hatbox Field. Uh, so it just, I mean, it goes on and on, but it, it's really amazing. It's just little snippets of history. And, sure. And I'll throw you another one out. I don't know how much time we've got here, but the Girl Scouts. Uh, yes. Cookies history here is, is really, uh, the, we are the nationally known of, by the Girl Scouts as the birthplace of the Girl Scout cookies. i got to have me some Thin Mints. And we have a nice exhibit on that now that we worked, including uh, on the lady who actually was the troop leader and started the effort to have them baked in the Central High School cafeteria. And uh, <laughs> they raised money for troops during World War One, And then a year later, or less, um, the pandemic of the Spanish flu came in and she volunteered to work at one of the schools that had been made an infirmary and she became ill and she died. As we close, give yourself a shameless plug. Uh, what kind of hours does the museum keep? Yeah, the museum is open uh, Wednesday through Saturday uh, from 10 to 5. Uh, we do have other events and stuff throughout the year here, but that's our normal operating hours. We would love to see people from the area come in, and, and we give them a, a tour, and uh, it's, it's uh, worth your time. Our guest today has been Roger Bell, historian in Muskogee, uh, talking about Muskogee as we, uh, as we celebrate 2022 is the 150th anniversary of Muskogee. Roger, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you have an idea for a future episode of The Occasional Podcaster, let us know. Find The Occasional Podcaster on Facebook and Instagram. Of course, you can always send an email to occasionalpodcaster at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and perhaps present your idea on an upcoming episode of The Occasional Podcaster. Well, that's another episode of The Occasional Podcaster. I'm Greg Mashburn, and I hope you've enjoyed today's show. My thanks to Roger Bell for being my guest on this edition of the program. Be sure to look for Muskogee 150 on Facebook, and perhaps plan a visit soon to the Three Rivers Museum here in Muskogee. If you liked the podcast and you can make a small donation to help defray expenses for The Occasional Podcaster, please visit my website, occasionalpodcaster.com. 
and click on the coffee cup in the lower left-hand corner of the page. I produce the podcast as a community service, and I have no sponsors, nor do I charge guests to appear. I pay production and web hosting costs out of my pocket. It's okay if you prefer not to donate, but whatever you choose, please continue to listen to The Occasional Podcaster. Podcaster.